to jump into the Word. I think that I think that Jesus wants to talk to us tonight. So let's um, let's focus, okay? All right, okay. Let's focus. Good. Hey, if you hold this up, say, "I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord." Who's conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into death. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. And right now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, God's holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So just doing a, just doing, okay, uh, just doing a little two-parter. Um, Pastor Amber started last week um, with uh, this following Jesus. And so um, I'm going to give you shorthand what she told you last week. Last week, she said, we want to be with Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. And today, I'm going to tell you, we want to, we want to act like Jesus. So be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and act like Jesus. Or do what Jesus did. John chapter 8, if you're with me, pretty, um, pretty crazy scene we have here. John chapter 8, verse 1 says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Just to give you a little bit of, a, of some background about what's going on here, uh, in this particular story, um, look, every, every culture has some festivities, and the festivities sometimes are just odd. Just do some odd things. Um, I'll tell you an odd festivity that we have in America. Uh, I would prefer that you never participated, but we call it Mardi Gras. And Mardi Gras is just crazy, right? It's just, it's just, it's a, it's a lot. So in the Jewish custom during Jesus's day, they had a festivity, a festival that lasted about a week. It was called the Festival of Booths, 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 Booth. Um, it was also called the Festival of, the reason I didn't want to say Festival of, of, boo, of um, the reason I didn't want to say the other one is because it's hard, to, it's hard to enunciate what I'm about to say, but apparently I'm having an issue with this one too. So either way, it's an enunciation disaster. But the other one is, here's what I want you to hear me say. I'm about to say the word T-E-N-T-S. So it's called the Festival of Tents. And uh, Tents. The Festival of Tents. Basically what I want you to think about is just a small little tent. And um, so what they would do is, the, the whole idea about the festival was they wanted to remember about the time when the children of Israel went through the desert for 40 years as they were waiting on God to get, to get them to the promised land in the Old Testament. And so once they finally made it to the promised land, God said, I want you to do this festival forever, once a year, for a week, and you will go and live in a small tent by yourself, and you'll party. So, so we, don't, we didn't realize this about God, but God's a partying God. God has established dozens and dozens and dozens of party days 
for the people of Israel. So this is one of their parties. It lasts seven days. And it got a little out of hand at times. So what would happen is you would go live in your little tent all by yourself. And there were people that didn't, um, that, that weren't real good at partying in moderation, but instead they would party in excess. Some of you have some friends that don't know when to say when, and they just are obnoxiously go too far and gluttonous with their appetites. And so there were some people that what would happen is, is they would party for one solid week, just like legit, just partying hard for one week. And they would, and they would drink grape juice that had fermented. And what would happen is, is they would, they would, lots of them would get plastered and they would, what would happen naturally when you're in a little tent and you are partying for seven days, they weren't even allowed to work. You're partying for seven whole days. As things, we're not doing questions. As things would, as things would happen, sometimes um, people would end up in other people's tents. It would happen. So this is where we pick up in John chapter 8. It is the end of the festival of tents. In John chapter 8, it says, verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts. So Jesus comes to, the, to basically the church. Jesus appears at the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them, which he was doing pretty regularly at this point. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, so all of the preachers get together, and they brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Man, that is, that's tough. They made her stand before the group. I want you to picture this, not too vividly, but I do want you to picture this. They grabbed this woman. She's caught in the act of adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, here's one of the key verses here. Verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They were using this woman in order to try to trap Jesus. She was just something else that they were using. Today, I want to just talk to you. I want to give you three quick points tonight about how we act like Jesus. How are we going to act like Jesus? So pretty much everything that I'm going to say tonight has to do with how we treat people. So the first thing is this, is I, the first point is this, is we are to subvert the status quo. Number one, we're to subvert the status quo. So what um, subvert means to, what subvert means is to undermine the power and authority of systems or structures. Undermine the power and or authority of systems or structures. There is no system on earth outside of the kingdom of God that gets it completely right. There's no politics or political group. There's no educational system. There's no government and there is no church on the planet that gets it completely right. All of the systems are broken in some way or another, all of them. If anybody ever tells you that one party is more Christian than the other, then they do not understand it's not about Republican versus Democrat. It's about, it's about power versus the kingdom of God, and it's always going to be about that. There is no political system that's right. There's no political system or political party that gets it right. There's no church that gets it all right. 
And so what we are to do, what the church is designed to do, what Jesus calls us to do is to subvert the status quo. When the political system or the educational system or the cultural system, when the church system, when it gets it wrong, it's our job as the people of Jesus to call them out. And, and I, maybe this isn't for teenagers in the room. Maybe this is something I'll just speak to adults. We, we've missed God because the church isn't calling things out anymore. We're just not calling stuff out. When's the last time you heard somebody call the political system out? When's the last time you heard somebody call the education system out? When's the last time you heard somebody call the racism system out, the way that we've set up our country in a racist way? When's the last time that you heard somebody call out the, the, the church systems When's the last time we heard somebody call that out? And it's our job as Jesus followers to upset, to subvert the status quo, to call out the, the power structures in our country that cause other people to fail or to not succeed or to not have a, a, their best chance. Um, I've told you guys this before. This is a, this is a silly illustration, but, it, but, I, but I want you to see what happens. I, uh, I grew up in church, and I was, a, uh, man, I was just a good Christian boy. Like I, like I started going to church. My dad and mom gave their hearts to Jesus when I was four or five. We started going to church, and I grew up in church. I went to one of those kind of churches that you went to church a lot. Now, some of you guys think you go to church a lot. Let me just tell you something. You don't go to church a lot. I went to church a lot. We would, we would have these things in the summer called camp meeting where you would go to church for two weeks straight every single night. They would start at 7, and you were lucky to get home by midnight every night, and we just went. I was there at church Sunday mornings. We went to church on Sunday nights every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. I went to church every Wednesday night. I would fall asleep on the pews because I'd been there so long. Services were like we do a, we do a pretty strict hour and 15-minute service on a Sunday morning. We did three-hour services on Sunday mornings. We just went to church. Like, we went to church all the time. So I grew up in church, and I knew church, and I knew Jesus, and I think I had it all together, and I think I knew what was right and what was wrong. And so I remember I was in high school, and I, I, was, a, I was a 10th grader in high school, and um, my friend Byron and I, Byron was a year older than I, than I was, Byron and I got into this heated theological discussion heated theological discussion. He and I were on the same team and we were basically arguing a straw man. And the discussion was this, how dare anyone ever allow females to take up the offering in church? Heated theological discussion. How dare anyone ever allow a woman to touch an offering bag and walk down the aisles and let people put money in it? It is, it is so ungodly. That was our discussion. Now, what we were doing was in this moment is we were allowing the culture to influence the church. Because the culture 30 years ago when I was a kid, um, and, and, we, and obviously we still have problems, but the culture 30 years ago when I was a kid um, women just didn't have the same fair chance that guys did. 30 years before that, even worse. 30 years before that, even worse. 30 years before that, they weren't even allowed to vote, right? So women just weren't, they weren't viewed as, um, they weren't viewed as equal. In fact, one of the big teachings of the church when I was a kid was how the woman was subservient to the man. How the man was the head of the household and the woman had to come to the man and say, can we do this? And the man would make the final decision. This head of the household idea. Just to give you a, just, a, just a little side note here, just so we're clear. When Adam and Eve sin, when they, when they sin, 
and, and God says, this is what your curse is going to be. He's not saying, this is what I curse you with. He's saying, because you have, because you have forsaken perfect unity and perfect relationship, this is what's going to happen to you. And what he does is he tells the woman, man is going to lord over you for the rest of our days. Man's going to lord over you. So that's the curse. So anytime we set up a structure where man lords over woman, what we are doing is we are playing into the curse. Do y'all follow that? So that's a system that we have to call out. And we have to call it out a lot because there are subtle ways that it happens in America, but there are very obvious and explicit ways that it happens around our world. When women are taken, do you know that America is the largest consumer of sex trafficked women in the world? America is the largest consumer of sex trafficked women in the whole world. And when I say consumer, that can't be the right word. But as a country, we take advantage of and sexualize women more than any other country on the planet. And what Jesus is saying is it's time we speak up and we subvert the status quo. So what I was doing was I was allowing the culture to influence what God wanted to say about men and women. And what God would say about men and women is this. They're equal. There are some things that women are gifted at sometimes and some things that men are gifted at sometimes, but what we do is we, what we want to do is we want to highlight and we want to um, understand the beauty in those differences, not to highlight them in such a way that we call them out and saying, you can't do this and you can't do this, but to highlight the beauty of what God's two genders that he's put together is. And so there we were, Byron and I, we were talking. And so I remember I met Tiff a couple years later, never really thought much about it again, but I remember thinking, this isn't okay. It's not okay for a woman to be able to take up the offering. I can't tell you what the heck I was thinking. Like, how did I make that decision? What makes anyone that holds an offering bucket holy? Like, why can only men carry the offering bucket? I don't know how I got there. I look back at it now, 25 years later, and go, like, I just think, God, you're an idiot. But that's where I was. I landed there. I will tell you this. Just so that we just so that we don't think that that was that, that was like a long time ago, there are denominations, entire churches that don't believe that it's okay for women to be able to stand up and preach right here to you. That they would say, Pastor Amber, number one, you can't be a pastor, and number two, don't stand up and preach in front of us. So it's not like it, it's not like it's changed or it's disappeared. It's still a thing. So there I was, allowing the culture, allowing the curse to influence my life more than I allowed Jesus to influence my life. And what Jesus tells us is to subvert the curse, subvert the status quo, subvert what culture is trying to tell us is the norm and do something different. And in Jesus' life, we constantly see him subverting the status quo, subverting the culture, subverting the church, subverting the, pol the political structure, subverting the education structure. He's calling out this brokenness with power and authority of the systems that have been set up in order to suppress people. And so I meet Tiffany one day. And uh, she invites me to church, which is, which is one, of the, one of the places when you're a Christian, that's a, like the only place to meet a girl when you, back then. Now you can um, meet them online, apparently. That's a thing. So, but, that was, but, that's, but that wasn't the only place. I mean, I, there weren't too many places to meet girls, so we met them at church. So I met Tiffany at, at um, church college, uh, also called Bible college. So I, met, so I met Tiff. Well, I met her at church camp, and then we started dating at church college. She invites me to her church, and I remember sitting in the, I remember sitting in the, in the audience, and I'm sitting beside Tiffany, and, and they call for the ushers to come down, and here come some men and women holding offering baskets, and I went, oh, 
What's going what is what Ichabod? Like what is going on with this church? And uh and they took up the offering. And in that moment, I remember thinking, how did I have an issue with this again? Like, that's all it took. Just one simple act of something. And I remember going, what the crap was I thinking? It was that simple. What was I thinking? All it took was someone to subvert the culture, to subvert the status quo for me to go, oh, boy, that was stupid. That's all it takes. And sometimes as Christians, we've got to call people out and we've got to say, what are you, what are you doing? This isn't right. And they go, oh, you know what? I didn't even think about that. There are, there are too many people that think that pornography is just a thing. Why is it the church screaming at the top of our lungs? This is not okay. And I think that there would be more people than we, than we realize that would go, oh, that is pretty stupid. That is, that is wrong for us to suppress and oppress women. That is wrong for us to do that. How, how is that okay? That is wrong for us to suppress and oppress young men. That is wrong for us to suppress and oppress people that have been taken advantage of. Oh, that is wrong. That is pretty stupid. That is wrong to, to give money into that system that continues to perpetuate it over and over and over again. Oh, that is dumb. Oh, I didn't realize that when I watch a video on my phone that the people the video that I'm watching are getting money from ads and that's supporting that and continuing to place women and young men into positions where they're taken advantage of. Oh, I didn't realize that. And it's time for us to call that out. It's time for us to subvert the status quo. I want to be very clear because I don't want anybody to miss what I just said. I want to connect the dots for you as, as, as tightly as I can connect it. When you watch pornography on your phone, you are supporting the sex trafficking system of our world period. It's that simple. That money goes to that and it connects to that and here they come. So when you watch it, so, you've, so I want you to think about this when you turn it on on your phone. Am I willing to give money to a person who is going to go over and take a little girl out of her village and bring her over here to be taken advantage of, sexualized and, and, and oppressed? Is that okay with me? Because that's what we're doing. At some point, we have to subvert the status quo. That is not okay, and it is not innocent. You are complicit. Pin drop. Second thing that we see in Jesus right here is, uh, um, first thing is we want to subvert the status quo. The second thing is we want to see the unseen. In verse 10, it says, Jesus straightened up. Well, let me, let me get there first. So it says, um, verse 6, they were using this question as a trap. They were using this woman the same way that you use a woman or a man when you stare at them on your phone. They were using this woman, but they were using them in order to trap Jesus. She was just something to be used. She was just a tool. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped back down and he started writing on the ground again. So, so, so let, me, let me give you the image of what happens. Here's Jesus. 
They come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, the Old Testament, they wouldn't have called it the Old Testament because it was the only testament, but they said the, the Bible says that we caught this woman in the act of adultery. We're supposed to stone her to death. Like we're supposed to kill her because she was committing adultery. What do you think we should do? And Jesus is faced with this decision. Am I going to tell them, yes, we should stone her and follow the law that God gave? Or am I going to tell them, no, we shouldn't stone her and break the law that God gave? And he's faced, as Jesus is many times in Scripture, he's faced with an either or. Should I do this or should I do this? And what's brilliant about Jesus is he always is offering a third way. He goes down to his knees and he starts writing in the dirt. And he's just writing and nobody knows what he wrote. It doesn't tell us. So we get to be imaginative and just wonder, but he writes in the dirt. And then he stands up and he says, all right, I, I got something for you. You're asking me if, I should, if we should stone her or not. I want to ask you a question. If you think that you have no sin in your life, if you've got nothing wrong with you, if you're playing it right with God, if you're playing it straight with God, then why don't you pick up the stone? Why don't you be the one that casts this first stone? And the Bible says that they just started walking off one by one. She started walking off until there was nobody left except Jesus and this woman. And it says that, verse 10, Jesus straightened up and he asked her. She's still sitting there just broken and, and ashamed and embarrassed. He says, woman, where are they? Where are the people that were accusing you? Has no one condemned you? And he sees her for the first time. If you want to act like Jesus, you've got to see people that don't get seen. You've got to notice them. The sinners, the sick, the poor, they were all seen by their religious culture as cursed by God. But Jesus sees them. This lady doesn't even get a name in Scripture. Secondly, where's this guy, right? Who are you seeing that no one else is seeing in your world? Who are you noticing that no one else is noticing? Who are you naming that no one else is naming? There's a beautiful book in one of my, you guys, I've told you this before, my favorite fiction book of all time is a little book by Madeline Lingle called A Wrinkle in Time. You guys read that before? She's got a quintilogy, and in the second book, there is an, there is an angel named Progo. And he's talking to Meg, who is the protagonist in these books. And he looks at Meg. He's talking to her. He's an angel. And he's talking to Meg, a human. And he says, I think your mythology would call them fallen angels. War and hate are their business. And one of their cheap weapons is unnaming. Making people not know who they are. If someone knows who he is, if he really knows, then he doesn't need to hate that's why we still need namers, because there are places throughout the universe, like your planet Earth, where, if, where everyone, if everyone to be really and truly named, then the ekthroi would be vanished. And what she's saying is then, the, then, the, then evil would be vanished. What he's saying to Meg is this. If you'll see the people that, that nobody sees, and if you'll name the people that nobody names, if you'll just notice somebody, then we change the world. I was a youth pastor in Atmore back in um, the year 2000. In the year 2000. Is that a little old for y'all? Got it. All right. Um, in the year 2000. Thank you, my people. My people back there. 
was a youth pastor in 2000, and uh, I had a teenager in my church. His name was Josh Davis, and he was an absolute seer of the unseen. He was Jesus. I'm just telling you, I've never had a teenager that I recognized Jesus more in than, he, than I recognized him in him. I've, I've had teenagers that I recognize Jesus as much in, and what I mean is acting like Jesus. I see Jesus in all of you. There's not a person that comes through this door. They can be broken and jacked up and, and, and messed up, and I see Jesus in, in all of you. There's not a person on this planet that the, 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 the divine is not a part of in him, that the image of God is in him. But I saw him acting like Jesus. And... Um, he just saw people that no one else saw. We had this kid in our youth group that everybody would make fun of. He had, a, he had a speech impediment, and Josh just took him under his wing and loved him to death, like loved him. So one day, Josh was on his way to church, and there was a kid walking down the street, just walking. And Josh picked him up and said, hey, man, why don't you come to church with me? Just met him, just like on the street. He said, what are you doing tonight? The guy said, I'm just nothing. He was a, he was a goofy-looking guy. He also had a speech impediment, and he was someone that people talked down to regularly. You could just tell by his demeanor. You know, you you know, I'm not. I don't believe there are confident teenagers. Like there's no such thing. But there are teenagers that are more confident than others, right? And you know, you can see someone that it, that feels more confident by the way they walk. But you can also see someone that you can tell has been beaten up by words and emotions, right? And how they carry themselves. And this kid would carry himself like this. His name was Alan. His name was Alan Cook, C-O-O-K-E, and Josh named him Cookie. I think you guys have a cookie. So Josh, so Josh named him Cookie, and he started bringing him to church. He, he brings him to church, and within a few days, Cookie gets saved, gives his heart to Jesus. Cookie joins our discipleship group that we have going on at the church and starts learning about Jesus and starts inviting other people to church. There was a kid that lived just a couple blocks from the church whose name was Rob, who had muscular sclerosis, and he couldn't get out of his house. And Cookie meets Rob, invites him to church. Rob says, I can't, I can't even come out of my house. He says, I'll carry you. So Cookie begins to bring Rob to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and every discipleship meeting. Rob, he picks him up, carries him down the steps, puts him in a wheelchair, brings him to church. Every single time the doors are open, Cookie and Rob are showing up. And Josh is loving the crap out of these kids. I mean, he is absolutely loving them. And their lives change. Rob, this was the year 2000. Rob still writes me on Facebook regularly just to check in. How's things going? One night, Cookie is on his way to church and uh, gets in a car accident and passes away. He gets killed in a car accident. And Josh calls me. I'd already, I was already here at this church. And Josh calls me and he says, Pastor Jeremy, Cookie died. And it's just, you know, you just feel like a punch in the gut. You guys have felt that before, right? And I remember saying to Josh, I said, Josh, you saved Cookie's life. You saved his life. This broken, beat-up kid who was walking down the street with the countenance of, of death. And you spoke life into him. And because of the life you spoke into him, because you named him, because you saw him, because you saw him the way that Jesus sees people, Cookie is going to spend eternity with me and you. And not only that, Cookie's been bringing people to the kingdom too. And you saw him. Josh cried, and I cried, because I cry a lot. But at some point, you want to act like Jesus? You want to be like Jesus? You've got to see people. You can't just see your friends. You've got to see people. You've got to see the friendless. 
You've got to see those that are beaten up and downcast, those that carry a countenance of the world has beat the crap out of them. You have to see them. You want to be like Jesus, you've got to see the, the girl at the lunchroom table that everybody thinks is weird, and you've got to stop making fun of her. You've got to call people out when they do. And, but you've got to go the extra step. You can't just call somebody out for making fun of somebody. You've got to go the extra step and name them and love them and see them. Jesus had this unbelievable ability. And it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't an ability that God had given to him because he was God. It was an ability that God had given to him because he prayed and wanted it. He had this unbelievable ability to see past all of the crap, to see past all of the masks, to see past all of the brokenness, and to see us for who we really were, to see us in, in the depth and beauty of, of, of our souls. And he saw it in every single person. There wasn't a person. Think about the goofiest person you know. Think about the outcast. Think about the broken kid. Think about the one that everybody thinks is the weird kid. Jesus looked at that person and saw the beauty of their soul because he saw past all the crap. And if you want to act like Jesus, you've got to see people. You've got to see the unseen. You've got enough friends. You've got enough cool kid friends. It's time for you to be a friend of an uncool kid because on the inside of them is the same coolness that made all the other kids cool. You've got to call it out of them. It's there. Trust me, it's in everybody. There's nothing, you can, every one of you in this room that goes to high school knows who the cool kid is, and there's nothing about them that makes them any more cool that, that's not on the inside of every other person on the planet. It's just not been called out of them yet. And you've got to call that out. You've got to name it. You've got to see it. You've got to notice the beauty of every soul there is, and Jesus was the master. You want to be like Jesus, you've got to call out the cool. You've got to see the unseen. And lastly, real quick, the first thing we have to do is we've got to subvert the status quo. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to see the unseen. And then finally, we've got to show the Father. Jesus looks at this lady and he says, hey, do you see anybody else that's here that condemns you? She says, I, nobody. No one, sir. And then Jesus says this masterful statement. He's so good. He says, well, then neither do I. Everybody dropped their... Here's what's amazing about the story. Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. There was someone there that didn't have any sin. There was someone there that had the ability to follow through with this caveat that Jesus had laid out. There was somebody there. Jesus had every right to pick up the stone and to throw it. He's the only one there without sin. And what does he do? He says, then I don't condemn you either. Go now. And leave your life of sin. He says, go now. And leave this, leave this life that has led you to only brokenness. Leave this life that has simply caused you heartbreak and pain. And follow the life of hope and love and grace and forgiveness. Follow this life. And he shows the character of the Father. He shows the beauty of God. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to act like Jesus, then you've got to act like the Father acts. And the way that you act like the Father acts is you act the way that Jesus acts toward other people. There is nothing more beautiful than to act like Jesus. There is nothing more hopeful for our world then you act like Jesus.
I will tell you this, it's hard to act like Jesus because there's not enough people doing it and so the stream is going this way. It's going so hard this way. This, I, you, remember the, you remember the verse that says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction but narrow is the road that leads to eternity, etern, uh, eternal life. The image that we get in this picture is not like there's this, it's not like here's this giant interstate right here that's leading to death, but then here is over here on the side, Highway 31, and that leads to life. That's not the image we're given at all. Instead, what the image is given is that it's, it's everybody, uh, it's every, I'll show you what it looks like. Um, everybody on the front row, jump up here for me real quick. Hurry, hurry, hurry. I want you to just stand shoulder to shoulder. Would you stand shoulder to shoulder? No, 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 shoulder to shoulder, just like this. This way, this way, I want you to go this way. Shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, shoulder to shoulder. Still shoulder to shoulder. There we go. Shoulder to shoulder. All right, and, and, and good. Uh, make one more row. You come back here. Um, okay, I don't know why y'all are facing off, but y'all come, yeah, right, come back here, shoulder to shoulder. Right here, keep coming, keep coming. Daniel, I want you to stay, stay over there. Cole, you come over here. Come over here, right here, right here. Come right here. All right, so here's, so here's the image that we're given. The, script, the scripture, this is the image we're given. It's not here's the big road and then over there's the little road and you just gotta make your way to the little road. It's here is the way everybody else is walking and here is the way, the narrow way, the hard way that you're being called to walk. So here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to ever leave shoulders. I want you to stay shoulder to shoulder and I want you to walk this way. And Daniel, I want you to follow the narrow way and I want you to walk this way. Ready, here we go. Push, push through, push through, push through, let him through. I'm Jesus. I'm going to push him through, that gum. So, all right. So that's the image we're given. Thank you, guys. Thank you, front row. Hey, let me, let me close with this. So that's the image we're given. The, that's, the, that's, what the, that's what the idea of narrow is the way means. It means everybody's going this way and you're going this way. But I will tell you, uh, I was able to figure out impromptu that I needed to be Jesus naturally. But I, so I stood behind Daniel and I pushed him through. And that's what Jesus is going to do for you. Everybody's going one way. You've got to go the other way. And going the other way is the way we show the Father. Going the other way is the way we show the Father. I want to pray for you tonight. <clears throat> Real simple. I'm going uh, to ask our leaders to come down front. Super simple tonight. Two things. One is this. If you'll, if you'll close your eyes for me, I want to ask you two questions. One is if you say, Pastor Jeremy, I'm not, I'm not going the way. I'm not walking the narrow way. I've just jumped in the wide way, and I'm going with everybody else, and it's time that I turned around and I followed Jesus and I walked his way. If that's you in this room tonight, you say, it's time I started following Jesus. Will you raise your hand? I want to pray for you tonight. I see you. Anybody else? Good. I see all three of you guys. Anybody else? I see you over there. You can put your hands on. I see you too. I see five guys. I, oh, great. I see three girls. Good. I see another guy over there. Great. Anybody else? That's 10. Jesus is doing something in here, right? So that's 10 of you. The second thing is this. Super simple. You heard what I said. We've got to subvert the status quo. We've got to see the unseen. And we've got to show the Father. If you're not doing the, if you're like Pastor Jeremy, I'm convicted tonight that I, there's, I've got to make some changes. I want to be like, I want to do what Jesus did. If that's you tonight, will you lift your hand? I want to pray for you.
if you'll stand up for me. Um, Daniel's going to turn on some music, and as the music begins, I want you to just come down here and pray. Edge, if you're not coming down here to pray, if you'll stand in behind them, we're, gonna, we're just going to fill this altar and pray for us to be like Jesus. As I begin to pray for our whole youth ministry to be like Jesus, if you raised your hand for any reason, there's about 15 of you that raised your hand, so you're not coming down here by yourself. If you'll just make your way. There's a couple of you that should have lifted your hand and you didn't, so come on anyway. The prerequisite wasn't raising your hand. The prerequisite was that you just started walking. So I'm going to start praying for you, and as I pray for you, if you'll make your way this way. Jesus, tonight, you're calling us to be different. You're calling us out. You're calling us to subvert the status quo. You're calling us to see the unseen. You're calling us to show the Father. And that's what it means to act like you. To follow Jesus means to act like Jesus. So tonight, will you, will you speak to us? Will you speak conviction? And will you speak hope? Will you speak life change and challenge? And will you speak grace?